streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. It is Thursday night, August 11th, the Overlord 2022. The limit on how jam-packed the show can be in August is... Anyone know? No? Well, the limit does not exist. We are jam-packed high atop a tranquil and beautiful downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We've got intel and whispers from fall camps from coast to literal coast tonight. We're going all the way from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Everything you need to know to have a complete idea and picture of what's going on behind the scenes in college football in August. College football is going to have some chaos teams this fall. You know it, and I know it. What we don't know, but we will try and figure out tonight, is whomst will it be? I could be ready to get on a train that I got on last year and ended up crashing into oblivion. But you know what? Uh, who am I, if not a guy willing to make the same mistake multiple times? We've got recruiting scoop tonight, the very latest on a number of teams. I'm talking Oklahoma recruiting tonight. I've been peer pressured and bullied online enough. I'm talking Oklahoma tonight. And... What's the best conference to watch this year? If you, if you just took everything about the playoff out of the picture and we were talking pure, unadulterated entertainment, what's the best conference to watch this year? I know my answer. I'm going to give you a few minutes to marinate on your answer. They're watching us in Columbus, Ohio, and probably Columbus, Georgia. Odessa, Texas is tuned in. Alpharetta, Georgia is tuned in. Walland, Tennessee is tuned in. I have one fair warning for all of you, and this is the last I'm going to mention it. Because as it turns out, we do not have to mention the Late Kick store on air for it to do a ton of traffic. And truthfully, we can't handle a ton of traffic right now. HateStateMaterial.com, for those unfamiliar, that is where the Late Kick store is. There are some items on the shelf there. Some of them have been very hot movers that will no longer be on the shelf by Monday. That's all I'm going to say. If you want it, I can't guarantee it's going to be there after this weekend. So head on over there makes a great holiday gift. Go ahead and do your shopping. For us, a holiday is opening day. I'm not talking about Christmas. That's down the road a little ways. A perfect opening day gift. We got a tailgate shirt that just went up last night that's already moved a couple of hundred units. So yeah, PateStateMaterial.com is open. I'm not here to hawk the store tonight. I'm here to talk about fall camp. So let's dive right into this thing. The latest whispers and intel out of fall camp. We need to start at Ole Miss. I got a call the other day from a very trusted source in the SEC. Here's what's happening right now. Obviously, fall camps are open. Obviously, there's position battles all over the place and coaches trying to acclimate. But here's what else is happening. There are NFL scouts just traipsing the country. Big Ten, SEC, all the major conferences. So if you go to these practices, you see some unfamiliar faces with familiar logos on their hat on the sideline. They are NFL scouts. Well, the good news is they start to talk a little bit. And I have it on very good authority that one of them, who has been through Oxford, Mississippi recently, backed up and validated everything we were hearing and saying about Zach Evans from the spring. Quote, Zach Evans is the best player on that team, unquote. And then they went on to just talk about how he could very well tear it up this fall. Here's the interesting aspect. Zach Evans is a seven-yard per carry guy. He's been that way his entire career. Uh, 2020, 7.7 yards per carry. 2021, right at seven yards per carry. I have no reason to think that production is going to significantly drop off or those averages are going to significantly drop off in any way this year. And if you were 
not familiar with Zach Evans. He's a former five-star tailback. He committed to TCU, played a couple of years there. He's at Ole Miss now. Think about Ole Miss. What's your opinion of Ole Miss? Ole Miss trying to replace Matt Corral at quarterback, obviously. And they've got Jackson Dart there, and they've got Luke Altmaier. Not necessarily in that order. And I've told you that I actually lean under on the win total a little bit. If I had to pick an under in the West, I said it would be the Ole Miss at under 7.5 because of uncertainty at quarterback and me not knowing what level of play they're going to get there. But here's what worries me about my own prediction. Zach Evans worries me about my own prediction. I think he could end up statistically being the best running back in the SEC this year. And that's a loaded statement because it's a loaded year in the SEC at the tailback position. Jameer Gibbs, rightfully so, is going to come to Alabama. He's going to get a ton of push. I am telling you, especially because of the dynamic and maybe how much more they'll have to lean on the ground game at Ole Miss this year, Zach Evans, if you just promise me health, look at my fists clenched for Zach Evans. If you promise me health and nothing else, he's going to be a dynamite player. He's going to put up really big numbers and a lot of what we were hearing from spring is starting to get backed up from NFL scouts that have come through Oxford. I, they were unequivocal in their praise of Zach Evans. They said he looks like a monster. He's the best player on that team. And they're talking about futuristic you know, NFL-type observations. Futuristic meaning down the road, not like they have a different lens to look through than you and I do. Next up, as we look at B-roll of Lane Kiffin. I just always like to pause so we can roll through the B-roll of Lane Kiffin. Next up, I want to go to Dallas. Fort Worth, actually. Excuse me. I want to go to Fort Worth. TCU's got a little quarterback situation. We don't believe in the word controversy when it comes to quarterbacks. The only quarterback controversy is if your quarterback's getting arrested. Uh, if there are just multiple guys battling for a job, there's another word for that. And Webster's calls it, where'd I put it? Oh, competition. Webster's calls it competition. And I in addition to Webster's, don't think that's a bad thing. Well, at TCU, they've got one forming right now. Sonny Dykes is the new head coach there, by the way. Gary Patterson off to Austin, Texas. How weird would that have sounded a few years ago? But uh, you're looking at a situation here that's probably evolving away from what your favorite preview magazine may have led you to believe. Your favorite preview magazine, and I'm going on feel now because I haven't looked at all of them, full disclosure, with TCU. I think they may say that Max Duggan is going to be the starter at quarterback. And recently, as recently as this week, actually, we've seen a little shift. So far, the way Sonny Dykes has handled the rotation there is he's let one guy run with the ones one day, another guy runs with the ones the next day, and it's kind of been ping-ponging back and forth until yesterday when Chandler Morris, the Oklahoma transfer, took reps with the ones for a second day in a row. Gasp all around the room. And it starts to feel a little bit like what I know some members of the TCU fan base have wanted to happen may be happening. Chandler Morris may be getting his shot. I mean, he's getting a shot. He may be taking advantage of his shot. And keep in mind, this is not new. He didn't just transfer in. Chandler Morris has played meaningful football for TCU already. And by meaningful, I mean, remember last year. Remember when Oklahoma went into Waco and they got upset by Baylor and we were there, we were on the field for that one and the field gets stormed. And remember how I told you Dave Aranda was kind of tranquil during the post game and he was upset because they played at such a higher level than they had the week before. What was the week before? Here's what the week before was. It was them going to TCU and losing to TCU and losing to Chandler Morris and TCU because he hung 461 yards on him. Yeah, 
So he's played some meaningful football. Keep an eye on this. I'm going to talk about the Big 12 later in a different context. Keep an eye on the TCU quarterback battle, the quarterback competition. No controversy. Let's talk about Arkansas for a change on this show. It's been, it's been minutes and minutes since we talked about Arkansas. You know, the transfer portal was very kind to Arkansas, and it wasn't by happenstance. They worked it that way. I was reading some of Trey Biddy's work. I try not to miss a word of what Trey writes over on Hogs 24-7. Uh, Hogsports, excuse me. And he was talking about how the way Arkansas has worked the portal and then the way these guys are showing out in practice is starting to illustrate a change in the way the landscape of the sport works. And he's right about this. It's a really good way to put it. You're used to thinking about programs like Alabama. They don't just, they don't rebuild, they reload. You've heard that a million times. And you're used to thinking that about Ohio State. And like when LSU is very good, you'll think that about LSU. A&M will start saying that about themselves. But history has taught you second tier programs like Arkansas or like Michigan State or the like, they don't get to do that, right? They have to recruit, recruit, recruit from a couple of years out and then they aim for a year and then they hope, boom, everything pops that year. But then they've got to rebuild a little bit and build their way back up to another couple of years down the road. And it's what you would call a developmental program at its best. That's what Arkansas in the past would hope to be. Well, as Trey Biddy wrote, and as we are currently observing at Arkansas throughout fall camp, that may be changing a little bit because of the portal and because of how attractive Arkansas as a program is and how it's become a destination, which is something I've told you a million times over what the casuals would call the offseason. Well, here's where rubber meets road. Trey Biddy's talking about having been at Arkansas for 19 years and having been around practice. I would encourage you to go read some of his work over there today and yesterday because he said, I've been out here 19 years. I've never seen a more well-put-together Arkansas football team. I've never seen one with, with so few relative glaring weaknesses. It's not a perfect team. Bama's not a perfect team. Nobody's a perfect team. But he's talking about how guys like Jaden Hazelwood at wide receiver or guys like Drew Sanders at linebacker running with the ones today, by the way, for the first time. Uh, guys like Latavius Brinney, who I think will eventually take over at a one safety spot. Dwight McLaughlin, probably a starting corner that they got from LSU. These are not baptism by fire, true freshmen, throw them to the wolf type situations. These are guys who have played winning football and meaningful football elsewhere in the SEC and beyond. And now they're Razorbacks. And what practice is validating is what that coaching staff already suspected. And that is these are equal to or better than the options we already had here. Or in some cases, especially on the defensive line, you're flipping through your preview magazine and all those preview magazines are just talking about what Arkansas lost. And Barry Odom's up there as the defensive coordinator saying, well, it's true that we have new names here. We're not really sacrificing much in terms of potential production. And I think when you watch Arkansas this year, you'll see that. Doesn't mean they're going to win every game, but you will not see this, this massive drop-off. In fact, you may even see a net increase in overall productivity in, in the power rating world, how you would look at Arkansas. So, I mean, it's not a surprise that those guys are good. It's just a validation of what we thought about them in spring. Let's talk about Miami. Hadn't gotten a lot out of Coral Gables yet. That changed today. Miami had a practice that was open, I think, for the most part, to the media. And so, obviously, talked to a few people about Miami practice. Here's two pieces of good news about the Canes program right now. The first, and the one I want to really emphasize, is defensively, 
I don't think they're surprised that they have some good players. I think they're pleasantly surprised maybe at how far along they are. You know, I think probably they suspected it would take a little bit longer for elements of their defensive front to coalesce. I think that maybe they're probably a little bit ahead of the curve relative to where they thought they'd be in run D, but that's not really where I'm going to emphasize things. What I want to talk about is how good they could potentially be on third down, and I think that coaching staff's really realizing this right now, and it gives two elements that I always look for with a new coaching staff. You come in, you largely inherit what you inherit. That's what Mario Cristobal and his staff have done. They've got what they've got, and you focus on recruiting to rectify any holes you may see for the future. But as for this year, you got what you got. Well, that varies greatly case by case. And in the Miami case, here's what we could have. We could have one of, if not the best quarterbacks in the conference in Tyler Van Dyke, uh, probably a deeper stable of receivers, given his ability to get the ball to them than is expected nationally, and the ability to cause havoc on third downs defensively. Their pass rush package is going to be really, really good. Now, whether they can earn the right to rush the passer, totally different story. I don't think run defense is going to be a massive weakness for them, but that's a remains to be seen. I will grant you that. That's fair to say. But if their run defense is, is B or better, they possess the ability to, I think, get after the quarterback on third down and cause havoc plays, cause turnover plays, cause negative plays, and they possess the ability to quick strike score offensively, especially at the quarterback position, given what they have, to win more games than you think they're going to win, I guess is the dumbest and best way to say it. Miami could be better because of those two things, and that's something that that staff inherited that is a huge blessing for any new coaching staff. So I think they like where they're at right now. Most people say that through one week of camp. Let's just keep an eye on it. Uh, lastly, I wanted to go to Oregon. They've had a bunch of injuries along the offensive line. Good news is, at least according to reports, none of them appear to be season-ending. Bad news is, it's a new staff. Therefore, it's a new offense. you got a new quarterback there. You're trying to install a bunch of stuff, and I don't think I need to tell anyone watching this show. Missing most of your starting offensive line is not a recipe for a lot of success early on. When you're trying to build chemistry, you're trying to build rhythm, you're trying to build everything that you need to have a competent offense. Dan Lanning apparently will not tell you who the starting quarterback is going to be there, so I'll spoil it for you. Bo Nix is going to start at quarterback for Oregon. Apologies to the staff out there. This is not much of a mystery. Having said that, they open with a bang. They play Georgia, and they are about a 17 or a 17.5 point dog. And if we, for the minute, are to assume they lose that game, just for argument's purposes, then they're going to fall off the national radar for probably a week, but then they've got Brigham Young at home. Uh, my point there is, this is not a Michigan schedule where you get four relative layups and you can, you can say to yourself, we don't have to have everything figured out by week one. We can get three or four weeks into the season before it really, really gets tough. That's not Oregon. It's tough right off the bat for Oregon. So, this offensive line situation bears watching. They got a good team. They got, this is a team that is capable of winning the Pac-12. But they can't win the Pac-12 if we don't get this injury situation rectified. It's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's just injuries happen. Uh, this is why even, even this time of year, there's not a whole lot of skill in forecasting this stuff because you don't know who is and isn't going to be available. That's the conclusion of Camp Whispers and Intel. That segment will just get fatter, fatter, fatter as the next couple of weeks go on. I put out a challenge to you guys a couple of weeks ago. Paper pop. That's how serious it was. 
I put out a challenge uh, to our viewers down in Panama City and really the Florida Panhandle. Our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors hit me up. And here's how good they are. They, they write the check to be our primary sponsor, our presenting sponsor. But then they say, all right, give us your best idea. How do you want to go about this? And they said, we got a store opening in Panama City. What do you think you can do? And so I told you guys what I want you to do if you're in the area or if you just got some free time and want to drive down there from outside the area, prove to me you went to that grand opening and I'm going to send you some free stuff. Well, several of you did. Personally, I questioned how successful we were going to be on that. Several of you did. I don't know how many, a couple dozen of you reached out. Think about that now. For, for, a, for a show, just targeting one little city, that's a lot of people. Anyway, so we're in the process of getting free stuff to the aforementioned people on a couple of shows ago that I mentioned. But that's not the best news. The best news is our close personal friend, we'll call him Alex because that's his name, from Academy hit me up and said, hey, guess what? Little tidbit to pass along to your crowd there. This was the most successful grand opening of any store we have ever had. So is that because of us? I'm just going to say, yes, it is. We did a really good job there. Uh, so much so that I think we'll probably be doing exercises like that with Academy in the future. I understand never to take the loyalty of our audience for granted. Trust me, I get it. I get it more so than anyone else. I think Academy has learned about the loyalty of our audience. Very much a family here at Pate State. So when I ask you to do some things, like, for instance, patronize our one presenting sponsor, Academy Sports and Outdoors, I don't have to take five minutes to do it. I know you're going to do it. They are your one-stop shop for all your outdoor sporting goods, supplies, and needs, and really stuff that extends well beyond just sporting goods. And they're best friends with us. And that's really all you need. Because if they're friends with us, they're friends with you. Because the us equals me and you. So thank you so much for that. A reminder for those of you watching, Jesse is, J Jesse is irate in my ear right now. Irate. He's even typing stuff on the teleprompter, which we don't use. And here's why he's irate. Because we have less than 300 likes on the video right now. He takes this stuff personal. I don't. I go with the flow. But Jesse, <clears throat> you know what? Why not? 30-second story for you. Jesse got a cat the other day. His name's Gary. Psychotic. Jesse got a cat named Gary. And Jesse has been carrying himself around the office exactly how a guy who just got a cat named Gary would carry himself around the office. So he's on edge. He's on tilt a little bit. Please like the video. If not for me, like the video for him. Because otherwise, you don't have to deal with him. Half you don't even think he exists. He is very real, and he's very tough to deal with when he's ornery. That is exactly how the word is pronounced, ornery. Let's talk about chaos this year in college football, shall we? Tom Fornelli, over on CBSSports.com, wrote an article about chaos teams. And I looked at it, and I liked it, and I said, I think we'll steal that. Right here in broad daylight, in front of God and everyone, we're going to steal his idea. I've got five chaos teams of my own, and I don't think there's much overlap with Fornelli, so let's talk about it. The first one is Iowa State. This is where I'm conflicted. You, you remember, if you've been around for a little while, the tragedy that befell me and Iowa State, us. We suffered immensely last year because I bought in. I dove in. I drank the Kool-Aid, that, that red and yellow Hulk Hogan-flavored Kool-Aid, I drank it. We were in Ames week two last year. The Renaissance Tour went on the road, and we saw Iowa State. I think they just turned it over again. They, they turned it over and, and, and turned it over again and again and again. They lost the game to Iowa. So anyway, I was ridiculed and mocked unmercifully and still am to this day. 
And yet, when I was looking over Iowa State's prospects for this year, a lot of folks are telling you, well, they can't do anything this year because they lost Brock Purdy. Well, they can't do anything this year because they lost Breeze Hall. Well, they can't do anything this year because they lost X percentage of their production from last year. And then I'm looking around saying, didn't this team go seven and six last year? I'm not going to shed much of a tear if that kind of topsoil is eroding. Now, this is not a team and not a program that stacked five-star upon five-star upon five-star. But what I do know is internally, there is a lot of excitement about Hunter Deckers at quarterback up there. They won't say it publicly, but I'll say it as sort of the unofficial spokesperson for Iowa State. They think he's going to end up being better than Brock Purdy. Offensively, they think they'll end up being net positive this year relative to what they were last year. And need I remind you folks, probably because you weren't paying attention to their tackle rotation, they had to kick guards out to tackle last year. They had some pretty key injuries there. So am I making excuses? Absolutely. I don't want to just say I was wrong last year. And so I'm not predicting them to go to the playoff. What I'm asking you to do, humbly but forcefully, is look at the schedule. Yes, they play Baylor early, so they're, they're less banged up. They got them at home. They go to Texas October 15th. They play the entire Big 12. That's how they roll in the Big 12. My point is, this is the team, if there's any this year that fell short of expectation last year, that could end up just being a year late to the party. I don't think there's this steep, massive drop-off like some other people think there will be. I I told you earlier today on Twitter, I'm going to irrationally buy into them unless you talk me out of it. And a bunch of you tried to talk me out of it, including some close personal friends in the state of Iowa. So I'm not fully diving in. I I just, I didn't dive in. I toothpicked in. But I'm in with Iowa State again this year. Uh, There's no doubt about it. I'm ready to be hurt again. Next up, Mississippi State. I've got so much on Mississippi State, I have a post-it above and beyond the notes in front of me, which are minimal. NFL scouts, told you about them earlier. They've been traipsing through the Magnolia State. Uh, NFL scouts, the same ones that talked about Zach Evans, said this is the sneakiest, most loaded roster in America, Mississippi State. I try and tell you guys, the ones who make fun of folks who tout these SEC schedules all the time, and you'll look at a team like Mississippi State. Jesse, what's their over-under win total? Do you have that in there? I mean, it's not 9 or 10. Like, it's, it's not up there in the Georgia-Bama territory. They're over-under win total 6.5. Okay? This is where we have to hammer home the reminder that in college football, all wins and losses are not created equal. A win is not just a win. Uh, you're not always what your record says you are. Those are some of the big lies they try and tell you about our sport. You are very much a prisoner or beneficiary of what your strength of schedule is. Well, this year, I mean, Mississippi State, let me, let me see their schedule right quick. There's a stretch in October that is illegal in like 27 states. They play Texas A&M. They play Arkansas. They go to Kentucky, which is the number two team in the SEC East in preseason odds. And then they go to Alabama. And then if that's not enough, they're going to play Auburn the next game. Then they play Georgia the next game. It just never ends. So here's why they're a chaos team. You look at that schedule, and you would be right in saying, like producer Jesse said earlier, that's about the toughest four-game stretch I've seen for anyone in America this year. You're not wrong, kids. You're not wrong. Here's why I want to let you know Mississippi State is still going to do something terrible to someone this year. The Texas A&M game, do me a favor and keep their schedule up. The Texas A&M game, yeah, they play A&M. A&M, the week before, plays against Arkansas in Dallas. A&M, the week after Mississippi State, has that game at Alabama. So that trip 
to Starkville is sandwiched in between those two games. Not easy. Uh, Mississippi State plays Arkansas there on October 8th. Arkansas is coming off back-to-back games versus A&M and at home against Alabama. Those are back-to-back brutal body blow games. Not to mention that's a Super Bowl atmosphere Arkansas will have for Alabama. Then they take a trip to Starkville the next week. We call that a double-do-down spot out in the desert. Next up, Mississippi State, they have to play Alabama. It's a tough spot. Alabama will be coming off a three-game stretch of at Arkansas, home versus A&M, at Tennessee, and then they get Mississippi State. That's the toughest three-game stretch on Bama's schedule this season. You could not pick a better spot to play Bama if you have to play Bama. It's not over yet. Mississippi State plays Auburn. Mississippi State's off a bye. Auburn will be coming off a game against Arkansas. And keep in mind, who knows what status that program's in at Auburn at that point. And here's the one that a lot of folks who follow Mississippi State closely are circling as the big upset in the SEC this year. They play Georgia really late in the year. They play them November 12th. Georgia will be coming off a game in Jacksonville, in Jacksonville against Florida. They play Tennessee at home. They go to Mississippi State, and that's the week before they also go to Kentucky. So every one of those situations in one, two, three, four, five of the toughest games Mississippi State plays this year, they own the schedule dynamic advantage, or at least I think they do. So this is not a segment about who's going to make the playoff. It's not a segment about who's going to win the West. It's a segment about who is going to make children in some of these opposing fan bases cry themselves to sleep at night. That's what a chaos team does. They, they just they bring wailing, they bring gnashing of toofies, and I think that's going to happen with Mississippi State at some point this year. No skill in picking where, but I think it's going to happen. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I did a Sirius Pac-12 radio earlier today with Mike Yam and Guy Haberman, and we spent an inordinate amount of time, an irresponsible amount of time, talking about Washington and Washington State. And I'm not going to make that go to waste. So let's, let's let that have served as show prep. Washington could be a chaos team this year. You don't know anything about Washington. Half the folks in Seattle don't know anything about the University of Washington this year. Just own it. Just be real about it. I know that. Kalen DeBoer is the new head coach here. Kalen DeBoer is about as polar opposite from Jimmy Lake, the outgoing head coach, as you could possibly get. And by outgoing, I mean fired. There's going to be an immediate turnaround here offensively. Immediate. I don't know if it's going to be quantum or just a big step, but there will be a a big turnaround statistically, uh, offensively there. Here's what you need to know. Here's why they're a chaos team. They have a sneaky, good offensive talent roster. They've got two or three guys at quarterback who 
uh, once upon a time coming out of the recruiting world looked like they had a lot of promise. They've got Penix, Michael Penix. Remember that kid that played at Indiana and then got hurt every single year? Literally every single year he's played. Well, he transferred to Washington. They got a couple of left-handed quarterbacks up there right now. My point is, Kalen DeBoer is going to figure out a way to have a competent forward-facing offense. I don't think I've ever said that before. With one of those guys. They are better than you think they are at wide receiver. They're better than you think they are at running back. They don't play Utah this year. They don't play USC in the regular season this year. They go to Oregon late in the year. Washington, I know they got to replace a couple of corners that departed to the NFL. This is going to be a team that has strong Tennessee vibes. And by that, I mean you got a defensive coach who didn't really know what he was doing, who's gone. And then you got an offensive coach who takes over in year one. There's a lot of transition, and they probably lose some games in heartbreaking fashion, but they end up a little bit as an overachiever in year one under the new staff. That's what Tennessee was under Hypo last year. You mark my words, that's what Washington will be this year. Texas Tech, are we going to go there? Yes, let's go to Lubbock. Cactus time. Texas Tech. I will call them, at least in terms of preseason, the most enigmatic team that I have looked at. I have no clue what to expect. I went on Twitter earlier today. I asked you guys, who do you think the chaos team in college football will be this year? And I think our Stanley Scott, or the streets would call him Trey, said Texas Tech. And so I looked into Texas Tech, and I, I've observed the program, and I've observed the transformation going on out there under Joey McGuire. Now, here's what you got to be careful of. And I'm not comparing Joey McGuire to anyone because every coach is his own coach. But you got to be careful. I've suffered from this before. When infectious personality coaches come in and they take over a program and they're, they're so outgoing and they're charismatic and they interact with everyone, it's hard not to, it, it's hard to ignore them. And it's hard not to like them. And so you do. And then you let your own personal feelings overlap with your football predictions and you end up looking like an idiot. So I'm not doing that yet, but I do feel that way about Joey McGuire. I'm just not going quite out on that limb yet. But Texas Tech feels like a program just ready to explode. I'm talking underrated a lot on the show tonight. I, I've been to Lubbock before. 95% of the audience has not. Lubbock is, um, how should I explain? Jesse, Colin, you've never been to Lubbock, no, and you don't have a mic anyway. It's like its own world. It's not off the It's not like you have to, you know, hop five different flights to get there, probably two or three. I'm just saying I'm not referring to it like it's an outpost in the Arctic Circle, but it's out there a little ways. First prairie dog, I think the first and only prairie dog I've ever seen was in Lubbock. They are as plentiful there as squirrels are in Columbus, Georgia. but. It's a program that almost has like a high school on steroids vibe to the fan base. High school football in Texas is obviously its own world, but it feels so tribal and territorial in the best of ways. Texas Tech's fan base is like that, only on a much grander scale because it's a full-blown college. They got classes and everything. If someone lights the dynamite there, like once upon a time they did with Graham Harrell and Michael Crabtree and that squad that came through there in the latter aughts, it will be a magical, magical time. Now, you also need to remember, the Big 12 is wide open right now, and Texas and OU are about to leave the Big 12. So it's all in front of Texas Tech. This year, they've got the second longest odds to win the Big 12 in the conference. One or two years away, probably, in terms of a rebuild. 
that doesn't mean they can't upset someone this year. And so the last one I wanted to look at, and this one a lot of you mentioned, so I just wanted to give them a little cursory glance, is Boston College. I talked about Boston College a couple of months ago, and I think it was in a schedule segment. And the reason is because in terms of scheduling, if we're talking about them being a chaos team, what's the first thing you think about? If I'm talking about anyone pulling any upset in the ACC, you're thinking, oh, he must be talking about their chances to beat Clemson. Yep, that's what I'm talking about with Boston College. So a quick look at the Boston College schedule tells you they play Clemson October 8th. A lot of big games on October 8th. That's the day A&M goes to Bama. Uh, but that is the day that Clemson ventures up north to play Boston College. Now, as you know, we're all about dynamics around here. So it's not just that that game happens that day. It's that Clemson will have played at Wake Forest and NC State the week before they go to Boston College. And oh, by the way, they've got a trip to Florida State on deck the next week. Scheduling dynamic advantage, advantage Boston College. Quarterback dynamic advantage, Phil Dracovic versus EJ, maybe, Kate Klubnick, also maybe. So we'll see about that. But at the very least, there's a puncher's chance because of the way that schedule pans out. Chaos teams, it's going to happen. Don't let your heart get broken. Understand the way the sport works, and I will be happy to look at your suggestions in the comments. What are we at? You know what I think we can do? I think we can get to 1,000 likes, so let's just go ahead and do that. Let's talk some recruiting. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of moves happening right now, and I do not want to overlook this. This is the lifeblood of this sport, so let's spend a couple of minutes on this. Oklahoma. I've never been bullied to the point I've been bullied by Oklahoma fans. I respect it, though. This is the kind of bullying I like because it means people are paying attention. We did a recruiting segment last week, and we committed the borderline unpardonable sin of not mentioning Oklahoma, which was a little egregious because they've got the number seven class in the country. They've got 19 commits, uh, nearly a 92 average player rating. How quickly has this happened? Well, here's how quickly. Since June 1st, they've picked up 15 verbals. They've picked up nine, or just did, in the month of July. Here is the territory that they are flirting with right now. As you look at some of their notable commits, headlined by Jackson Arnold, Elite 11 MVP quarterback, they are on the precipice of doing something Lincoln Riley never did. Now, there's still a little ways to go. Let's see how it pans out. We got to keep the guys committed. We got to land a few more. Lincoln Riley never landed a top five class at Oklahoma. He landed some top 10 classes, so he wasn't that far away but he never landed a top five class. There are people around the Oklahoma camp who believe they're about to land a top five class. I'm not pushing back on that because they've got a couple of guys crystal balled there that if they do end up becoming Sooners, will probably push them up to top five status. There's been some staff turnover without getting into that whole can of worms lately. And there is probably an unanswerable question at this point as to how much impact that's going to have on this class and potential commits moving forward but I can't know the answer to that. So outside of knowing the answer to that, if I just assume that recruiting will largely maintain its pace out there, this is an answer to a huge question. I mean, when Brent Venables got hired, no one on this show or elsewhere that I heard questioned his coaching acumen or questioned you know, whether he can coach defense. The two questions I had, and they were literally questions, not doubts, is what, what, what's the offense going to look like? And I haven't seen that yet. But then the second thing was, How's he going to be able to recruit offensive talent? And there was this kind of addendum to that with A&M and Texas both trending very, very positive in recruiting. 
is Oklahoma going to get shut out of Texas too much? And the short answer has been no. They've been able to go pretty much wherever they need to. So right now, as I said, they're sitting seven in the country. They're still in it for several high-level guys. This could be a top five class. If it is, it'll be the highest rated Oklahoma recruiting class in the modern era. LSU, uh, fresh off a commitment just this afternoon, LSU landed four-star quarterback Ricky Collins out of Baton Rouge. That's on the heels of landing five-star receiver Shelton Sampson, also from Baton Rouge. It turns out Louisiana produces a lot of high-level players. And I think an interesting formula could be, what if LSU keeps in-state kids in-state, you know? There's been a lot of Baton Rouge and surrounding area talent go on to win championships at Alabama. Once upon a time, they kept most of those guys home. There is a concerted effort to do that again there. LSU has the number six class in the country right now. They're not close to being done. It's been fun to watch this from a distance. Really fun. You know why? Because as of July 1st, this class was not ranked inside the top 40. And then, as primetime players tend to do, they made their move. And now LSU is ranked number six in the country. Their average player rating, 92.13. And so a lot of those folks who were very adamant, I'm talking all caps adamant, that Brian Kelly was in over his head in the SEC, have taken an extended lunch break. No end in sight. I look for them. I look for you guys every day in the comment section. And the keyboard's broken like that angry panda gift. Just bang it on the table and throw it over your shoulder. They're not coming back. Uh, LSU's here to stay. Let me, let me explain something to you. These are shark-infested waters in the SEC. Everyone gets that. Brian Kelly was not taken by surprise when he came to the SEC. The formula for winning, I'm not going to rehash this stuff because I've said it a million times. The formula for winning is the formula for winning. It's not about culture fit. It's not about how you talk. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about the principles that it takes to build a sustained, successful organization, which Brian Kelly has proven himself to be able to do at multiple stops over multiple years and decades at this point. He'll do it there. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Any of you planning on making a career out of doubting Brian Kelly at LSU are probably going to be out of business in the not too distant future. So, I don't have any doubts about LSU. Never did, for the record, but now we're getting that backed up a little bit. Texas is sitting at number three in the country right now. Texas is on fire. Cedric Baxter is the latest addition here. He's a four-star running back. I don't think that perks your ears up quite as much as this will. He's a four-star running back from Orlando, Florida. You know why that is significant? That is the highest rated kid out of the state of Florida that the University of Texas has landed in several years. We, we went back and looked. I, I saw Andrew Ivins looking back, and he said, I don't know of one that was rated higher. Now, here's the misnomer. The misconception is the Mac Brown syndrome, as I call it, of they don't ever have to leave the state of Texas. Yeah, they do. They really do. If you want to recruit the best product you can possibly put on the field, Texas has got to leave Texas. Georgia's got to leave Georgia. USC's got to leave California, and dare I say, Miami and Florida may even have to leave the state of Florida. The best talent doesn't always neatly fit inside these imaginary geographic lines that we call state lines. So Texas understands that. Steve Sarkeesian understands that. Uh, they went and got Cedric Baxter. You see some of the other verbals they have. They are number three right now, 22 commits. Um, they may push for the number one class in the country. I'm going to clear my throat for just a second. <coughs> 
they may push for the number one class in the country here. Look at the average player rating, 92.18. That's legit. There are only, I think, three teams I saw, three or four teams that are higher rated on the average commit spectrum than Texas. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Jackson Smolik, who was an Elite 11 guy. We got our eyes on him last month now, I think it was, in L.A. He decommitted from Tulane today, and producer Jesse gave me some scoop. Uh, according to producer Jesse, he likes Penn State. A couple of crystal balls now in there for Penn State. And if he commits to Penn State, let's let it happen first. If he commits to Penn State, are, are we starting to see James Franklin and Penn State stack quarterback talent? They just brought in Drew Aller. Sean Clifford's kept the spot warm for the greater part of the last decade, literally. So let's just keep an eye on Jackson Smolik. Not much to say about him. He com- decommitted today. There you see his player profile, 6'2", 200. A top, he's the number 30 quarterback in the cycle for 2023. Crystal Ball's coming in for Penn State. Let's watch that one play out. Bartlettsville, Oklahoma is tuned in tonight. Man. Columbia, South Carolina, Reno, Nevada, and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I need to talk to you for a second about excitement. This is not an ad read for Disney. I need to talk to you about something far, far away from Disney, the Big 12. We got a question today. So let's take a look at the question first off, and then I'm going to answer it prophetically, profoundly, maybe even. Jake asked, without just saying which one is the best, which conference will be the most exciting to watch this year? The answer is the Big 12. That is very easy for me. Uh, Dare I say, and it's not even close. I do not dare say that. Uh, It's the Big 12. This depends on your perspective, because he said the most exciting. What is your perspective? How do you define exciting? Are you someone, Jake or anyone else, who's been brainwashed into thinking that you have to have a playoff spot on the line for a game to matter? Do you have to have playoff implications riding on a game for it to be exciting? If you do, maybe the Big 12's not for you this year. Maybe, maybe not. I am not of that crowd, not of that ilk, if you will. I can watch a 7-3 and three team play a 6-4 and four team both of whom were expected to be six-win teams, and I can say, this is going to be a great game because I love Saturdays, every given Saturday, as a matter of fact. So I am looking at the Big 12, and I'm looking at the odds to win it right now. And Oklahoma is the current favorite at plus 210. Notice that that plus 210 does not look like these other conferences. Ohio State is a strong minus money favorite to win the Big 10. Bama's a minus money favorite to win the SEC. So part one of why I love this conference so much this year is there is no clear favorite. Let me, let me describe the Big 12 to you. Last year's champ, Baylor, they think they upgraded at quarterback so much so that they let their quarterback from last year transfer. So they think they upgraded last year's conference champ. Uh, they've got, in my opinion, the best top-to-bottom coaching staff in the Big 12. They got my favorite head coach in the Big 12. They returned their entire defensive front, which was a hallmark of why they won the Big 12 last year, and yet they've got the fourth best odds to win the conference. That's called competitive balance. That's parity. You guys want it so much. Well, I'm giving it to you right here in droves in the Big 12. Also, nobody in the Big 12 is among the current top four favorites to make the playoff, which screams wide open. That's the style of play that they've become synonymous for, although I would argue it has long since become a defensive conference. Some of the best defense in the country is being played in the Big 12 now. And when 
Did you ever think you would say that six or seven years ago? This is the Every Given Saturday Conference. If, if our tour this year has an example that we point out as a conference, it's the Big 12. Oklahoma, if you just go up and down the list, Oklahoma, Brent Venable's in there. They got Dylan Gabriel pairing him up with Jeff Levy. Uh, they think that they are sneakily as good, if not better, at many positions that some people are doubting them at. They're the preseason favorite to win the conference over under nine and a half wins. Texas, I don't really think I need to tout them all that much. You know about Quinn Ewers. You know about the year one to year two under Sark. You know about the recruiting efforts. Will they go bang this year? Bijan Robinson at tailback. I love Keelan Robinson back there. Roshan Johnson as well. Baylor won the conference last year. I don't need to tout Baylor anymore. You know my thoughts on them. Oklahoma State is sitting there with the third best odds to win the Big 12. They came within a couple of eyelashes of being undefeated last year. I think they lost to Iowa State and they lost to Baylor in the conference championship game by inches both ways. So bounce of the ball goes a different way a couple of times for Oklahoma State. They're in the playoff last year. Uh, They're sitting there once again this year, Spencer Sanders or Sean Clifford of the Big 12. Iowa State, I hear the snoring because I know you're sleeping on them. Just know, like I told you earlier in the show, there's a lot of, there's a lot of internal confidence there. It's not external yet. Oh, trust me. No one outside of Iowa State has it. Probably a little bit more of a comfort zone for them than the situation last year where everyone, including yours truly, was buying into him. TCU, Sunny Dykes in town. Got a couple of quarterbacks out there. We're trying to figure out who we're going to play with, hopefully win with. I know our Budrick Elliott has circled TCU as one of his sleepers in the Big 12. The rest of the country, collectively, you all, every one of you, has circled Kansas State as your other sleeper with good reason. They have the fifth best odds to win the Big 12 this year. Adrian Martinez. Everyone hooking that wagon to Adrian Martinez at quarterback. Hey, I hope you're right. I really do. West Virginia is a team that I have circled as being one of my favorite bets of the year at the over on five and a half wins, only because I think if we can get an answer at quarterback in JT Daniels, which I'm banking on, everything else is set to go offensively there. Secondary, we'll see. Uh, They got talent there. It has to be infused. It has to gel. But the Kansas, even the Kansas crowd is looking around saying, could we flirt with a bowl game this year? Now, my answer is no. But remember, we have to take this into context. Kansas has not won more than three games since I want to say 2009. So if they're even in the four-win range, if they're playing Kansas State at the end of the year with a fourth or even a fifth win on tap, then that's huge. That would be great. We talked about Texas Tech earlier in the show. My point is there is intrigue and excitement and allure up and down the conference. Don't fall into that trap. You know the trap that's going to be sprung for you towards the end of the year, especially if no one from this conference looks like they're going to go to the playoff. Some casual, or maybe a dozen, depending on what kind of social circles you run in, they're going to try and tell you that those are meaningless games. Yeah, they're going to tell you they're meaningless. They're not meaningless. They're not. If Oklahoma at Iowa State in week nine, with, with both of them off a of bye week, is not enough, to light your fire, as Wes Blankenship would say, your wood is probably wet. I look at TCU, and they've got at Texas, at Baylor, Iowa State in November. If they're not in the race, they could wreck someone else's season. Sark's offense versus Dave Aranda's defense in week 13, and thinking about what could be on the line in terms of maybe a conference championship berth there. West Virginia, what if they have six wins already, and they're going to Oklahoma and Kansas State and at Oklahoma State, that three-game stretch. 
there's a lot to be excited about. You sign me up for Big 12 football 12 weeks out of the year this fall. I'm there. I'm in. Last question, and then we'll get out of here tonight. Turner said, what are the most important games in the SEC this year, in my opinion? Well, I got four of them for you, Turner. I'm not just going strictly the Bama's four most important or Georgia's four most important. I wanted to get around the conference a little bit here. So Texas A&M Texas and Alabama, I got no problem saying, yep, that's one of them. I see we just spoiled it with the graphic here. That's great. Uh, Texas A&M and Alabama is one of them. That's October 8th. I don't really think much needs to be said about that, but it's not because of the Jimbo Saban thing. I'm thinking about which talent roster out there can push Alabama the most. And it's A&M. It was A&M last year. And it's A&M again this year, at least in the regular season. Now, we're looking at this before we know who's starting. Probably going to be Haynes King, but we don't know who's going to be starting at quarterback for Texas A&M. But my question about A&M is what status are they in once they get to Tuscaloosa? Because it's not a cakewalk before they get there. Remember, they've got to play Arkansas. They've, they've already played Miami by that point. They've got to go to Mississippi State the week before. And here's what I don't like. Those are three consecutive trips on the road for them. They play in Dallas, then they play in Starkville, then they play in Tuscaloosa. So that's like a back-to-back-to-back road stretch. The only team that had to do that last year in this conference was Arkansas. And the third game, the third leg of that three-week road trip was a splattering on the road at Georgia. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, Next up, Georgia at Kentucky in week 12. We had a question the other day about whether maybe the Every Given Saturday tour could take a trip to Lexington for this game. And at first I said no, but then the more I thought about it, the more I think it's a distinct possibility, especially because there is no standout game. There's no immediate headline grabber that day. And this could be for the SEC East. These are the two odds on favorites in the SEC East. I think a lot of folks out there believe if you play Kentucky that deep in the season, they'll already be out of the race. You could be right. You could be wrong. I'm just saying that's going to be a really important one, not just because of potential division standings, but independent of what the standings look like. Georgia is coming off easily their toughest stretch of games that sees them go to Jacksonville to play Florida. Then they got Tennessee at home. Then they go to Mississippi State. Then they go to Kentucky. So that's the fourth leg of a really tough four-game stretch. It's the second leg of a back-to-back road stretch. It's the third time on the road in four weeks. That's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy at all. Uh, The week two game in Fayetteville, I wanted to point out, South Carolina at Arkansas. Arkansas plays host to Cincinnati in week one. Then they get into conference play in week two with South Carolina at Arkansas. This is certainly not a national radar game. But what I'm thinking about is the perception around Arkansas is not that they're going to challenge for the West, but let's see if they're better than last year and if they can improve on last year's record. Well, to do that, they can't have any hiccups this early in the year. They can't lose to Cincinnati. They can't lose to South Carolina. But yet, if you go over to Columbia, South Carolina, they're saying to themselves, dude, if we go on the road and we lose to Arkansas, Then we got Georgia the very next week because that's how the schedule starts for South Carolina. They play at Arkansas in week two. They got home against Georgia in week three. They're thinking to themselves, we may be one and two right out of the gate. Well, that's not acceptable for either program, obviously. Both of these programs are such that they're trending up. Uh, they They have overachieved. They've developed a brief reputation of doing that. It's really fun 
to see those two collide this early in the year. The last one I wanted to touch on, there are a lot of conditions to this last one. LSU at Auburn in week five. LSU will have already played FSU in week one. They will have played, I think, Mississippi State, but this is their first real test on the road. You, you always learn something about yourself, especially in conference when you go on the road for the first time, but also think about where Auburn is at this point because this is the last shot they have at taking advantage of a really workable early stretch. They just they don't leave home for a long time. Look at this schedule. Mercer at home, San Jose State at home, Penn State at home, Missouri at home, LSU at home, and then you won't see them much after that at home. They go at, at, home, at, home, at, home. Yeah, so they got a lot of road stretch uh, to deal with in the second half. But the first half of the season, they've got two conference opponents at home. The entire hope, the entire premise of hope for Brian Harson and his staff this year are, is just protect home. Because they're, they're thinking to themselves, and I'm thinking about Auburn, they've got a shot to start 5-0. and they got a shot to start 2-3 and too. But they got a, a shot to start 5-0 and there. Uh, they will not be a big point spread underdog in any of those games. They'll be a very short dog against Penn State. They'll be a very short dog, if not a slight favorite against LSU. And the point is, if there's going to be one of those sort of circling of the wagon type effects for Auburn this year, well, they've got to win this game. Well, what does that feel like for LSU? Because when LSU is looking at that early season schedule, they look at that trip to Auburn and they're saying, well, that's kind of a place if we've got to go on the road that we want to go. Well, that's a weakened team this year. We can take them either venue. So if we got to go on the road, hey, why not go to Auburn? It's the beauty of this sport. A lot of people think that. There are a lot of games, when you look at that helmet grid schedule, where both programs fully expect to win. They, they see no reason why they should lose that game. A&M at Bama, Georgia at Kentucky, South Carolina at Arkansas, LSU at Auburn. Send it in. Those are, to me, four of the most important games in the conference this year. I need you to do me a quick favor, and I need you to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and that concludes the favors that I need from you this evening. I thank you so much for watching. Whoever bet the under in there is about to cash in. Jesse and Colin bet the length of the show over under every week. I believe they're tied eight to eight. And yeah, it's a good night for Director Colin. So for the victorious Director Colin, for the cloak in shame and defeat, producer Jesse, I am merely your host, Josh Payne. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you back here Sunday night. Take care. God bless. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.